0: We don't aim to solve all the world's problems, but we do offer you peace of mind, hope, laughter, and ideas on how you can help improve circumstances and communities. Good change is for you. For us, we take to heart your concerns about anger, injustice, and helplessness. the Pain that we each feel and give you something better to witness, something better to believe in in many ways this podcast is the opposite of self-help it's us help we draw attention to kindness to the better angels of our nature we swap stories that bring smiles deep breaths inspiration and ideas to help us evolve we introduce you to people who are positively transforming lives leaders of movements or everyday heroes who are making change good change Good change highlights the common ground we share, the unlimited positive impact of a single person, and the greater good. Welcome to Good Change, a podcast about making a world of difference. Please welcome your host and Good Change maker, Ken Streeter.
1: Hi everybody, it's Ken Streeter with the Good Change podcast, and today we're honored. Honored is one word, uh, excited about, Uh, I think we're going to be moved by. Uh, our special guest, her name is Kyle Ann Hunter. She goes by Dr. Hunter when she's teaching, I think, but she has a PhD. She's a Marine combat veteran. She's the first female Cobra attack helicopter pilot. Uh, she teaches at the United States Air Force Academy. She at one point was the Marines liaison to Congress and has been deeply involved in the Brady organization. Today, we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to Kyle Ann's heart and to mine, and that is the issue that we have in this country with guns. Welcome, Kyle Ann.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So I, I was introduced to you with your TED talk that you gave a few years ago, and it was about weapons of war on our streets in this country. How do you define a weapon of war that is ending up on our street?
2: So um, I'm glad we actually started off this way, because I think it, it becomes a often way too legalistic, conversation to have where people start talking about oh are we are we looking at a specific size of magazine and are we looking at a specific type of of stock you know of of the actual weapon or a velocity and these are all things that are parts of legal definitions and we can we can clearly get into that later on too but I think when we actually talk about a a weapon of war we need to zoom out a little bit and talk about some of the cultural problems that we really have in thinking about guns and and gun culture. And I think to to talk about this fact is like, I'll start off in saying like, I'm a gun owner. I've been around guns my entire life. I think there's a, if we wanna say a place for them an engagement, whatever we wanna say, this isn't anti-gun. But when we start thinking about the fact that there are tools that have been specifically created to kill as many people as quickly as possible for the military and there, there's a military application for it. You know, They have saved the lives of my sisters and brothers in arms. They have saved countless American lives. But these tools that were created to kill as much and as often as possible really have no place on our streets. And so they're, they're commonly fall into a AR-15, AK-47 style weapon that you'll see. Um, many other companies other than Armalite make them now. But if we think about this really culturally, why do we, we need to bring these tools into our places of peace? Other than, you know, I like to shoot them, they're fun. Sure, great, let's, let's talk about that. But there's no need for them in, in private, private ownership. They do not actually pose a benefit um, to, to anybody. And if we look internationally, places like Australia, Britain, They've addressed this factor, and they still have great hunting cultures. They've got shooting teams that compete internationally that are, that are incredible. So all of those excuses really can't can hold water
1: here. So I mean, here's the, the simple million dollar question, and then why, why are they on our streets? Why do we have?
2: So there's, I think there's, there's a few. There's a cultural and some legal side of it. Um, culturally, We have distorted what it means to have the Second Amendment. You know, people will say, oh, well, we have a right to bear arms. It's the difference between being a citizen and a subject. Well, let's look at the root. So if we look at the root, the Second Amendment was written because militias or militaries really in Britain at the time of the revolution could not be freestanding. The crown was the only organization that had the ability to create a military. We were embarking on creating an entirely new system of government here that was of and by the people. And so we needed codified the fact that the people were supported. And so if you look at the the beginning of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being essential, that that clause in the beginning gets at the root and you go into and you look at the Federalist Papers, you look at these early interpretations, it was about collective security. That's the whole point was that, no, we are not going to raise a military or standing army, whatever you want, to support the crown. It is to support the people. And it was collective. However, if we look at really over the just in our lifetime, you know, if we, so in, not even, you know, in only a piece of our lifetime, really only the last 30 years, that there has been a distortion of that, that it is individual security, that is there, individual liberty. And that was really done at the behest of firearm manufacturers to make money. You know, the, they, they are some of the biggest donors to the NRA the NRA endowed a whole bunch of legal chairs to create interpretations that supported the sale of guns. I mean, that, that just—it's capitalism, pure, pure and and simple. And we have lost that collective security side of it. And so they are there because they're money makers. I mean, they're, 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 its a super cynical view, possibly to have here, but they make a lot of money for gun companies. And so why wouldn't they and that's that's really where i see a lot of of this coming from it doesn't come from an actual interpretation of of the constitution and even if you look at you know the, the heller decision in the supreme court justice scalia who is often looked up as you know this lion of a conservative originalist justice that that is there even he said that the heller decision which says that an individual has a right to protect themselves in their home is not an absolute right to own whatever gun you want. Mm. And yet, there's been such cherry picking at the legal arguments and a refusal to have a real conversation about what it means to look out for each other. I mean, this, let's go back to the, uh, the preamble of the Constitution that all these things are, are built on, which is to have a more perfect union, not a most, not a complete, but more in that we continually have to work at it together. And, and so why we we've had, we've allowed for private companies to distort the founding document for our own gain, and, so the, and that's why we see so many of them out there now.
1: So a couple things I want to touch on there, the, the preamble that you mentioned that that really is the guiding directive of everything that falls beneath it, including things like the second amendment. Mm-hmm. And then are, are you saying simply that marketing for manufacturers has led to the sentiment that the second amendment guarantees these certain rights that it, it really doesn't.
2: Absolutely. I mean it's been a if we look at where this is, you know, there have been organizations and manufacturers that have marketed fear. You know, that's what what, what they're pl- playing on is that you need this weapon of war to be safe on the one hand, are marketed to a bit of a distorted sense of masculinity. I mean, that's a whole nother road we can, we can go down that you need this weapon of war to be a man. And that has force, you know, you sell more, fear sells. And if we get people to be afraid, they're gonna to wanna to go buy this tool to protect themselves. And so it has led to a very distorted view of what, you know, at its, its principle is we, the people, right? We, that's a collective term. It's not I, the citizen, in order to protect my house, need to own AR-15s. It's we, the people, in order to form a more perfect union, which is a collective sense. But that doesn't sell fear. We, the people, is not a scary term. We, the people, is a hopeful term. And uh, it's really hard to sell a bunch of uh, rifles if you're hopeful.
1: Wow that is so well put and that's largely what this podcast is all about is the idea that uh, we can exist in a much more harmonious way if we're anchored in hope, if we're anchored in camaraderie And, and yet we face this barrage and that's the right word daily barrage of fear from people like the NRA.
2: And, and I think a really good example of that is like, let's look at just a year ago, a little more than a year ago now, like 15 months ago, when the pandemic was first announced, when stay at home orders start, you know, NICS, the criminal background check system, in March, April and May of 2020, reported a record number of background checks. Since the founding of the background check system in 1993, they had a record number of new handgun or new gun. We don't know for sure it was handgun. And anecdotally, we're, we're seeing it as handgun. New gun purchases because people were afraid. What do they think? They're going to go shoot a virus? But like fear has become so synonymous with I need to control something. The thing I can control is putting a gun in my hand. And that fear-based reason, that's where we end up with all sorts of tragedies. That's how we end up with people who don't actually understand that this is a a tool designed to kill. That's what its purpose is. And so you end up with unintentional shootings in the home because you don't know how to take care of it. And so an average of over eight kids a day is unintentionally shot with one of these guns that is found just left in the home. It's why we have such a suicide epidemic right now as well, that if somebody is facing a suicidal crisis and there's a gun in their home, there's a 300 times more likelihood that they're actually going to die,
1: mm.
2: you know, as opposed to getting the help they need. And, and that becomes, I mean, this is even another side. I know I didn't touch on this in the in the TED talk, but if we talk about how this is, you know, destroying our, our fabric and able to be, I mean, we've got to talk about suicide. You we've got to talk about that, that, you know, we don't have any higher numbers of suicide attempts than any other country. We have a higher number of fatalities. And it is directly related to the fact that if you attempt suicide with a firearm, you are over 90% lethal. Mm. All the other methods combined outside of guns have about a 7% lethality rate. And for an individual who attempts and survives, they are more than 90% likely to never attempt again because they get, they are able to either get help if it's something real or most suicide, you know, we can't predict suicide often. You know, there's no way to say like, you're somebody who's going to to attempt suicide, but it's often a, a confluence of temporary events that lead to a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And so if we want people to be healthy, happy, have the space they need, you know, we have to talk about how our obsessions with needing to have guns and equating them with like our most fearful times is is killing us.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy. Happy may not be the right word. Um, I'm <laughs> glad that you're touching on the idea of suicide and guns and shootings, accidental shootings and guns and weapons of mass, weapons of war in schools. Because the argument that I so often hear is well, instead of focusing on uh, AR 15s in schools, why don't we focus instead on suicide or uh, armed robberies? And you know, to which I say, we're capable of focusing on more than one thing at once. It's kind of like saying we can't focus on texting and driving because we have to focus on driving while under the influence. And that, that argument is so shallow to me. And and so what do you say to people who say, well, we should focus on this instead of that?
2: Yes, we should focus on them all. I mean, I think it's a, you know, there's no one solution. It's the same thing when people say, well, it's a mental health issue. Like, Yes, we also need to focus on mental health care. That's a nut, like, it's not taken away. And I think it's a, a, a discussion of these aren't separate things. And if we say we care about suicide, it doesn't mean we don't care about school shootings. And again, addressing some of these root causes will address a lot. Like One of the things that I, I talk about a lot, I work with a lot, I do a lot of research on is safe storage of firearms. Something that, again, like this is not a political discussion. Safe storage is not political at all. It is about understanding responsibilities that comes with rights. And something as simple as storing your guns safely, locked, storing them locked, even just starting there, like lock them up. And there's a bajillion different ways you can do this, right? Super quickly, too, with the way that biometrics work now that is going to reduce the likelihood of these unintentional shootings of kids because if they can't get their hands it, kids are curious, right? 75% of school shootings are facilitated by a gun that a student found in the home, right? So if we, if we lock them up, that then just starts to take that away. If guns are locked, it reduces the likelihood that somebody will die during a suicidal crisis by over two thirds. That already is a big dent into things because you just break that instantaneous chain. People talk about, you know, guns that are used in, in felony stuff. I don't know, Lock your guns and people aren't going to steal them either. Mm-hmm. Like this is if you look at a lot of um, where armed robberies and felonies come from, it's actually guns stolen out of people's cars. Maybe we want to talk about the NRA. They start they target people who have NRA stickers on their cars because they're like there's likely a gun in there, smash and grab it and then go use it. Like they, they, like, so this is something when we start thinking about a place of hope. Let's say great. Keep all the guns you want, lock them up, we'll start there. And you're addressing, and we're not saying we don't care about all these other issues. It's simple, it's evidence-based, that it that it works, it's not political, but you should do these things. And I think when we think about this, like how fundamentally are we are we talking really cross purposes that is that is there? And if if and and what I would say. To folks who are very dug in on this, and they they get to the point, well, it's my right to do whatever I want. It's my home. The government can't tell me what to do. I would just point blank ask them, what are your responsibilities? What are your responsibilities to we the people who are who are out there? Because we have a responsibility to to each other.
1: Right, right. And and what about the argument that if my guns get taken away, then only the bad guys will have guns. I'd love to hear your response to that.
2: <laughs> well, that's funny. I mean, I, I, I sort of chuckle, chuckle at it. I mean, addressing how bad, guy, bad guys get guns is also an interesting conversation. Um, because define bad guy. If we are talking about you know some of the violence that gun violence that occurs um, primarily in big cities that disproportionately impacts Black and Brown communities, let's start to look at some of the systemic issues that, that we're facing there. Where if we look at you know back when the ATF was was transparent about data as to where guns recovered in crimes came from, you know five or 90, over 90% of all guns recovered in crimes come from less than 5% of dealers in the U.S. They can be traced back to it. And these are dealers who, again, we talk about profit, right? Profit over people. They are making shady deals. Um, When I was at Brady, we actually FOIA'd for all of the inspection reports for these dealers. And we started to see that they were engaging in shady shady behavior that was there, whether it
1: was... Say that statistic one more time about where the percentage...
2: yeah, 90% of guns recovered in crimes come from less than 5% of dealers. Wow. And these are dealers who, if we look at, this is why when people say like, well, Chicago has the you know, super tight gun laws, and yet look at all the gun violence there. I'm like, yeah, Gary, Indiana is only what, two hours away? And they have some of the, there's two gun shops in Gary that are like the most traced to dealers in the country when it comes to guns recovered and crime, So before we start going down the you're gonna take away my guns, enforce the laws. Yeah, enforce the laws. Let's start, I tell you to those people, let's start by properly funding the ATF to do their job because they have been so gutted that they don't have the manpower or resources to do effective oversight to shut down these dealers that are putting profit over people. Let's start there before anyone's going to come take your guns that you get so afraid of. Let's start with, you know, actually enforcing the laws on the books, which means funding and resourcing the agencies that are supposed to oversee them in such a way that they can be adequately implemented and enforced because right now they can't. So nobody's coming to say like, we're going to take them away. So that's number one that's there. Another thing, when they talk about bad guys with guns, most bad guys aren't bad guys until they become bad guys, if that makes sense. If we look at like here, I'm in Colorado Springs and yesterday there was a individual who went into a Mother's Day celebration, killed six people and then turned the gun on himself. Prior to that, he had no criminal record. He bought that gun perfectly legally. So, who, you know, mm. is he a good guy with a gun? Because he had no record before this. Mm. And so to those people too, I say what we need to do is to fundamentally change our culture around why we own these tools to begin with. Because, you know, having having been in combat and in, in combat zones, 99% of these people who sit there and are like, if, if things went bad, I would use my gun. i do that. Yeah, have fun. Mm. No, you wouldn't. It is not human nature to do so. I also ask them when they talk about this, what are you doing to prepare yourself to take a human life? Because it does not matter how justified you think you are. That is an incredibly serious act that you want to engage in. So what are you doing to prepare yourself that way? Because if not, you are no better than that guy who has no criminal record, went in and bought bought a gun and then decided to go mow down six people because there is no difference between you and them. Hmm. And, and that's where we need to start to fundamentally change the way that we think about these tools.
1: So how, how do we talk about it though? I mean, you are brilliant, your, your speeches, <laughs> your videos are off the charts, powerful. How, how do we talk about it?
2: I think one of it is to start to call out the fear-based narrative that that exists and fundamentally reject it. Um, I will say it myself and uh, two other Marines that we all used to be members of the NRA. It's it's an organization that at its root had a good purpose but became focused on profit over people. And it really so number one, what we need to to do and to to think about is to call out and reject the fear-based narrative. No, I don't need guns because I'm afraid of somebody breaking into my house. That is a, that is a false narrative mm. that exists. Like I, I don't need guns. I don't need much of anything. I need oxygen, water, and food. That's all you yep. need. Right. So that's, let's like put, like, take the need for out of it. Uh, shooting guns is fun. I'll be one of the first to admit that like target shooting, competitive shooting, it's fun and it's a challenge and it's skillful, but admit what it is, you know, I, I have people try to trap me a lot in this because I've competed in three gun matches where I have used AR-15s to in competition. Great, it's fun competition. I have no problem at all if it was, you keep guns at the range, at an armory at the range and you get them out to practice. Cool, I gotta go there anyway to practice. It's like, it, it's similar to like, driving an F1 car is fun. Right, Formula One race car, it's a lot of fun. And if you haven't, if anybody here hasn't done it, like go to like one of those experiences, it's super fun. You can drive as fast as you want, it's great. Oh, um, it's a I've got a, <laughs> a colleague wanted to come talking to me too. Here's what happens. See, <laughs> we're super candid here. Um, you know, but so it's fun, right? But I can't buy one to drive for work every day because I get arrested. I get pulled over. There is not because it is a danger. Like it's not a street legal vehicle for a reason.
1: It gets back. It gets back to your point about the greater good, the collective, we, the, the collective.
2: people. And, and so I think the first thing we need to do is have a real reckoning in this country about what we, the people need. And in this is something I've been grappling with through COVID as well, where there are people who is like, you can't tell me what to do it's my right to not wear a mask, it's freedom. And I'm like, well, sure, but what's your responsibility to everybody else? Mm. And that, that's where I think we need to, to get at changing this dialogue is how do we fundamentally move our national conversations from one of I, 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 me, me, me to the we. And there are too few people willing to stand up and say, this is about us. This isn't about me, my rights. I am willing to be slightly inconvenienced in order for people to be safe. And I think the other thing is that I see so much selfishness in a lot of these conversations of, it's my right, the Constitution gives us the right, full stop, end of sentence, we'll not engage any further. Because if a kid is afraid to go to school, we have failed as adults. And I think that's just a full stop thing. If our kids are afraid to go to school, Mm. we have failed as adults. It is our responsibility. It is not a kid's responsibility to to deal with this. It's a similar like bullying behavior. That's It's us, we're the adults in the room. That's literally why they say, where's the adults in the room? Because adults in the room are responsible for this. So we need to start to act like adults. You know, kids are selfish, right? Mine, me thing, it's part of your developmental grow. If you don't grow out of that, then like, honestly, maybe you shouldn't be an adult and have have your rights to own guns anyway.
1: Yeah. So along those lines, just boiling it down to a very specific topic, the the argument that uh, if you place an armed officer in a school, it will be safer and kids will feel safer.
2: We have not that hasn't been proven at all um you know at parkland there was an armed officer didn't do anything um that that was there there's also a you know look i i spent a lot of time in war zones i went back to afghanistan to actually teach women how to to ride bikes yeah there aren't people all over schools in afghanistan to make sure girls aren't getting shot in the face by the taliban is that what we should, is, is that what we should strive for? Yeah. I think is number one. If we say we're a free society and yet we want to arm our schools so the teeth, so they can go there. Are we a free society?
1: Yeah.
2: Fundamentally. And, and then there's just, there's no evidence that armed officers deter deter this. There's no evidence that, you know, arming teachers is going to, to support anything because again, like I look at it, I have been, in war zones and i have been in classrooms and the mentality that i take in a classroom and i'm at a military academy is i want intellectual curiosity i want the free exchange of ideas i want to push them to work harder react to to actually conflict with one another and grow because that's how we grow intellectually right Mm -hmm. that's the purpose of school is to learn but also to educate to, to engage in ideas. It's where it should be safe. How is adding a gun into that making it mm-hmm. any better? Yep. I mean, like, and the mindset you need. No, when I am teaching, I don't want to look around and think about which one of my students I might have to shoot in the face mm-hmm. if they bring a gun in. Like that is an ineffective educational method. And it's not mm-hmm. effective to actually you, know, you look at this, like kids in war zone fall behind in their cognitive development that there is actual data on. So why, again, why do we want to repeat that here? Why is that what we're striving for? Is that somehow the good?
1: No. So how, how, how do you feel things are going these days at the NRA?
2: Um, so, I mean, they, the, the NRA has gotten themselves in legal and financial trouble. I think is the the biggest thing that they have. And and I fully think it's a representation of them failing to stay focused on what they should have stayed focused on to begin with. You know, they, they had started as a marksmanship, gun safety, gun education organization after the Civil War. Great. That is an important thing that we need. But as, you know, over the course of the past 30, 40 years, they have become a marketing arm for the gun industry. And I think it's showing that you can't say that you are a educational organization, but act as a marketing firm and get away with it. Right. And so I think that that their, you know, their legal shenanigans are catching up with them.
1: So who who you know, there's their listeners and viewers that are completely on the same side of the pages you and I on this which is it's ridiculous to have weapons of war in peaceful settings on our streets then there's the folks that are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum that that may never hear this as an objective reasonable argument and then there's people that are in between and people that are not sure what to do here in terms of getting rid of some of their guns or becoming more of an advocate for um, a more uh, applied, more stringently applied gun regulations. Uh, how did those people make the shift? What is it that you have said to those people that have gotten them to come off of a arm yourself at all costs position to something other than that?
2: I mean, I think some of it first is, is having the conversation that this doesn't have to be a political or regulatory conversation if we all actually acted well together. So great. You don't want government in there. You're clearly not policing your own and policing yourself. You know, we, we talk about this in the in the military a lot about the idea of like policing your own. Yeah, you want to make sure your peer group is like doing well so the wrath of your commander doesn't come down because if it comes down on one of you, it comes down on all of you. And, and so really it is, look, we, just like adults have the obligation, as gun owners, we have the obligation to start policing ourselves a whole lot better. You know, we need to, what are we doing to ensure that when people go out and buy all these new guns, i.e. during the pandemic, that they are educated about safe storage, that they are educated about the risks that come with owning a gun. I think, you know, people talk all the time about the rights, the rights, the rights. They never talk about the risks. Mm. There are very real risks. But again, acknowledging that there are risks doesn't say never do it. We do risky things all the time, right? We all get behind the wheel of a car at some point, right? That's risky. Mm. It is inherently dangerous. Driving a car increases your chances of dying in a car crash Mm. because you chose to drive a car. It's just the way it is, right? A lot of us drink alcohol, right? That inhibits our reflections and leads to risks, right? The likelihood of falling off your deck and plunging to your death increases a lot when you choose to drink, right? We engage in sexual activity. You have 100% more chance of getting a sexually transmitted disease if you have sex than if you don't have sex, mm-hmm. right? So, so we do, and people always get nervous when I start talking about drinking and sex too, but we're candid here, right? So, you know, yes. but, but
1: fire you, away as they say, we
2: do, we do risky things all the time, but we acknowledge that there are risks and we take specific actions to mitigate those risks so that we better everybody. And a lot of those things aren't regulated. You know, we look at like, we'll just go into like sexual activity. One of the risks too is teen pregnancy. And we know that for a society Teen pregnancy is a negative. It harms our society. It reduces education levels. It puts additional tax burdens on people. There's a lot of adverse health outcomes that come from it. There's just a lot bad. Well, when we started to educate about contraceptive behavior, Mm. teen pregnancy has gone way down. I mean, the most recent population report that came out is like, teen pregnancy is like all but eradicated in Mm. this country. It is, it is almost a non-issue. I mean, yes, there are still cases that happen.
1: And there was never a law pla- passed that said exactly. we need to teach kids about teen pregnancy.
2: Exactly. There was no government intervention needed because we, the people, collectively came together and educators, faith leaders, you know, community center leaders all said, you know what, we need to get on the same sheet of music about what responsibility means to engage in risky behavior. And it worked. So there's models for this, right? We need to do that as gun owners is to get, get together and stop being selfish, you know, cause we can look at, we'll use the teen pregnancy analogy too. It could have been you're staunch on both sides once. Nope. We're not going to talk about sex because sex is bad. And we're going to refuse to talk about it. We see those with people with guns. Nope. La la la. Guns are evil. Guns are bad. If we just made them all go away, there wouldn't be a problem. Well, okay. That's putting your head in the sand and that's mm-hmm. not helping helping anything in the same way of saying that, like, if we just pretend that teenagers don't have sex, then they won't get pregnant. Well, that that doesn't work and <laughs> we, we know that. Versus on the other side, you have ones who are just like, they all need to just have all the sex they want because it's great and we it's it's their right, it's a it's a natural phenomenon, they should just explore and do it. Well, that's also not the way to approach things, right? Because that clearly didn't work either. Yeah. So we came together to say let's all get on the same page and understand we know what helps prevent pregnancy and come up with a comprehensive, reinforceable messaging. We as gun owners need to do the same things. We know that safe storage works, right? We, we know it is proven it is the closest based thing we can have to a definitive based on the amount of research we're allowed to be doing that works. So we need to start policing ourselves and educating, hey, simple step, will start to change the conversation. We need to start policing our own about the rhetoric that exists around guns. No, we're not gonna go be Rambo for every like, you know, sense of the night. Also, you wanna like cut your likelihood of living, pull a gun on someone who's coming in your house, you're more likely to get killed Mm. because they're gonna shoot you. And the police, police don't know the difference between a good guy with a gun and a bad guy with a gun, right? So what what are you actually trying to achieve? So we need to come together, come up with what do we actually want to achieve out of this? Because I it it, it bothers me when people talk about this as like a gun control debate, right? No, we need to talk about this gun violence debate because I don't know anybody who is pro-gun violence. right. right? It should not matter what your political affiliations are, your religious affiliations, how many guns you happen to own. Nobody's pro gun violence, right? Nobody likes that eight kids a day are unintentionally shot. Nobody likes that there are 60 suicides per day with a, with a firearm. Nobody likes the fact that for black men in this country, the life expectancy has decreased because of gun violence in cities. This, this isn't a thing, so we need to start from that place and then collectively actually come up with meaningful solutions together.
1: So the people who are listening or watching this may be saying, that sounds great. How do I do that? Are there organizations that are leading the charge here that people, people could get behind? Are there letter writing campaigns? Are there community dialogue platforms that are out there? How, how does somebody hearing this right now that says, I am absolutely anti-gun violence, but I don't know what to do, What's a step or two they can take?
2: So I think some of it really starts at the local level when you're there. Get involved in your school boards and your county commissions because that's where the rubber meets the road on education. So in terms of like civic engagement, that's where you need to start because those are much more conversation guiding than like prescriptive federal legislation, right? So I would start there.
1: And, and, so and in that, you're not saying run for school board or run for commissioner. No. You're just saying be engaged in the conversation or exactly. bring the conversation up.
2: Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to run, but go to meetings Yeah. and say, so school board's a perfect place because a lot of this starts there. Go to school board meetings and say, hey, okay, how are we educating about about this? You know, another good example, and it's, you know, I, I'm trying to think of the, the right way because this is going to sound like a horrible example, but- Think about recycling, right? Like kids learned about recycling in school Mm. and then basically shamed their parents into recycling, right? right? Or smoking. Smoking is actually probably a better thing to do, right? Kids are largely responsible for shaming parents to stop smoking because education started in school. What are we doing about safe storage education in school? Mm. Are we teaching similarly? Like these are ways to reduce violence at home to get kids to push. There. So let's start talking about these things at, at school board meetings that, that are there. Start talking about them in your in your county commissioner. What is the police community relations like? If this is about self protection, what is missing that you feel that the organizations that are are there to protect you can't ha- start having these dialogues, bringing these things up, because that's where communities start to start to engage there. Um, Brady is doing a lot of work around the end family fire campaign that is focused around just safe storage education. Mm. And that's, I think one of the best places to start because it fundamentally is focusing on how to keep people safe in their homes. That's what we all want, right? It, it's not a legislative mm. campaign. It's not a big, uh, you know, federal policy change. It is simply how do we educate people to keep them safe in their homes because that's what we want to do at the end of the day so i think it's it's and uh so brady's real big on that there's tons of resources again to bring up to your community groups because that's where it starts this isn't going to change on a federal level i know people get very excited about new legislation and excited both positively and negatively excited you know people get very worked up about federal legislation but federal legislation isn't going to fix this it's going to fix when we start at that base community level, our school boards levels, our police engagement levels, our county commissioner levels? How are we having these conversations? Yeah. And I mean, if you're compelled to run, run, it's great. Like local government, we need more more engagement in, but more show up to the meetings. They, pay, they can't represent you if they don't know what you think.
1: Right, right. So uh, along those lines and representation, there's a, there's a uh, fascinating statistic about the percentage of gun owners that are members of the NRA. And do you know what that statistic is? I know it's super low. Like, like maybe 5% of gun owners are members of the NRA.
2: Exactly. It's, it's very low. It's, it's less than 10%. I know just based on what's, what's out there. Um, But so it's not, they claim to be the voice of gun owners, but they're not. And we know this from other polling data, because we talk about legislation like expanded background checks, super simple thing, right? That is over 90% of the people polled in this country support it, regardless of anything else, political affiliation, gun ownership status, the NRA fervently opposes it how could they speak for most gun owners? We know most gun owners support this.
1: Right, right.
2: So, yeah, I mean, it goes back to the fact that they've been a mouthpiece puppet through their funding for manufacturers.
1: Right. When when you gave your TED Talk, um, there's a segment in there of a soundtrack of the Parkland shooting. And when you before you and I came on air today, we both had the same... Uh, feeling from that soundtrack. And folks, if 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 you have any question about whether or not there should be legally allowed weapons of war on our streets, I would encourage you to go check out Kyle Ann Hunter's TED Talk on YouTube. You can just Google that, Kyle Ann Hunter TED Talk, and listen to that, that segment of that presentation that Puts us as as closely as we could be without actually facing that terror in the classroom, and every time that you wonder whether or not there's something that you should or could do related to gun legislation to, to reduce gun violence, hearken back to that soundtrack to that to that clip. And Kyle ann what you were in war. You you faced those sounds. What's the difference? to a soldier versus a student who is who is involved in that environment.
2: I mean number 1 is that we are we are prepared. When we go to war it's expected. It doesn't make it easy you know, as 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 we say, but you're you're prepared. It's organized, it's managed, it's expected. When you are in school you are in a place where you're supposed to be learning. It is terrifying. It is not it is not what anyone should should expect and it reverberates to the point where even kids who haven't themselves experienced a mass shooting have similar traumatic responses because they they have heard this from their friends every time that they do a lockdown drill they don't know if this is the end for them Um, there's a, a great new book out by a Washington post reporter that really details this, that our kids are living through trauma because they are so afraid that they are going to get shot up at school. You know, we talk about PTSD and like the fear of going to war and we are trained to do it and it's still scary, you know, but it's managed, it's engaged chaos. We have a generation that is afraid to learn. The first time ever that cognitive, excuse me, I get like choked up talking about this stuff too sometimes. First time ever that the cognitive abilities of the youth generation are degrading from their parents
1: Mm.
2: because it's fear. Because you cannot learn and be educated if you are afraid all the time. And so this has, and I think when I, when I ask people out there, are you that selfish? I think is really what a lot of this comes down to. Are you that selfish, that you are willing to allow the students in our country to become cognitively deteriorated for your desire to have a toy. And I think, look at yourself in the mirror and ask that question and see, you know, what do you see what you're doing?
1: My question on that question is, have you asked that of somebody and what, a, a staunch Second Amendment advocate, what's their response?
2: Yeah, I have. And I get told I am distorting the Constitution, that they have a right, that it's the difference, you know, it's the difference between the uh, the, the, cit- the citizen and the subject of a subject of a country. And it's our, our right to do this. And if people are afraid, it's their problem. They shouldn't be afraid. And if more people have guns, fewer people will be afraid. First, difference between citizen and subject. Like, you want to go shoot rifles for the country like call 1-800-MARINES they will give you an opportunity to go do it as much as you want um and and actually put your life on the line um, for it but it it is like i i would love to get in the head of someone who is so unwilling to do this because it comes down to this continued line of we have a right we have a right we have a right you have a responsibility
1: yeah, that's a great distinction, right, and responsibility. And it comes back to a child who is being cognitively restricted because of the fear that they're facing every day as a result of school shootings, using weapons of war. How in the heck does that reconcile with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness?
2: Yeah, the fundamental beginning of our, of our preamble is to secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. And we've failed, full stop. We have not secured the blessings of liberty for our posterity, because we are willfully allowing them to be degraded. Are, are you feeling? And,
1: are Are you feeling hopeful at all?
2: I, mean, I know this sounds awful. Um, yes, actually, I, I I am. As much as it is, I mean, the fact that having these conversations more and more, I think, is a sign of hope. Generally. You know here here's how we can actually move through that's an important part of hope i think as well when i think about feeling hopeful i think about how we can actually we can um you know we we are we are seeing more gun owners be vocal about these things i think especially we're seeing more of the post 9 11 veteran generation be vocal about the the horrors that we faced and more or not horrors that should be here on our streets when we come home we have a generation that that willing to to talk about this i think you know when we see people like representative jason crow who you know army green beret from colorado who i've known for for quite a while who's you know from rural rural america grew up gun owning stills an avid hunter is changing the conversation and i think the other hope too is that there are more and more gun owners who want to be involved in preventing violence and that's the first step and so that's where really my hope come from is that we're willing to take the step and have this conversation because it's way beyond time to do it. And it's way beyond time that the, you know, less than 5% of our country holds the other 95% hostage in in fear.
1: Anything else that you'd like to add? I do want to ask if you know the name of that book that you mentioned by the Washington Post. Let me look it
2: up real quick so you can, uh, Splice it in there.
1: Um. And then, uh, with regard again to people being feeling empowered, just to summarize, going to a school board meeting, becoming involved somehow with county commissioners, um, becoming involved with your local uh, city politics, uh, making sure that you understand how policing is taking place in your neighborhoods. Um, anything else that you would add to that where somebody coming off of this show today, they just watched it. They just listened to it.
2: I think get, get involved with, um, you know, local advocacy organizations, Brady, every town has, has some good ones. Brady's and family fire messaging is incredibly helpful just for education. Um, The book is children under fire An American crisis. And it's mm -hmm. by John Woodrow Cox. And it, you know, it talks, we have you know, kids growing up in lockdown cognitive. The other thing is that, you know, kids are being born with PTSD from mothers who are stressed because of gun violence in their communities. And they are being born with the physiological symptoms that, that exist, same things you see in refugee camps. And so if this doesn't push you that this is an American problem Mm-hmm. That is deeply, deeply rooted, and we have a solution. And it starts with again: How are you educating kids to begin? Up, get involved in the school boards. What is your relationship with your community policing? Get involved in those, in those conversations. And then, how are you educating yourself about your responsibilities?
1: Right on rights versus responsibilities. Just be aware of the fact that our kids are not only learning to be afraid, but they're being born afraid. Biogenetically, that's a heavy, heavy thing to know. That's a that's an idiotic burden that we are placing on the next generation. Again, folks, the, the Kyle Ann Hunter's TED Talk, I encourage you to listen to that, to watch that. And, and in large part, because of the soundtrack from Parkland, it is, extremely powerful. And if, if you're not already anchored to the idea of doing something about reducing gun violence, you will be after listening to that portion of her presentation. My hats off to you, Kyle Ann, for everything that you're doing, uh, that Thank you've so dedicated much. your life at this point to making sure that we've got an ed- educated citizenry when it comes to this issue. Um, it, it takes guts, honestly, to, to present that side. And Folks, it's time for more of us to to, to belly up, basically, to stand tall and, and become involved in this dialogue and to let your neighbor know that this is how you feel.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for, for having me and your continued dedication to providing us with a little more hope to move forward.
1: Thank you very much. And um, we'll talk soon again, I'm hopeful, folks. Yes, me too. We're <laughs> grateful to you for tuning in to the Good Change Podcast. Thanks, Kyle Ann Hunter.
0: And we'll, uh, we'll join you again later.
2: Thank you so much.
0: With every show, we ask our guests to share a video of them doing something fun, one of their favorite songs, a few lines from a book they enjoyed, or a scene from a great movie, something that matches their hopes, dreams and good work. And then we give this to you because laughter and beauty soothes, heals and changes us. You can find and unwrap this gift on any of our social media sites. Thank you for participating in this podcast. Until next time, keep an eye out for change, good change, and join our movement at KenStreeter.com.